Well, hello and welcome to this second Encephalitis podcast of 2021 and the 12th in our series so far. This podcast, though, is super special and is part of our World Encephalitis Day Lights, Camera, Action campaign, where we're lighting buildings around the world red to raise awareness of encephalitis. And in this podcast, we explore To Olivia, which is a new Sky original film released on the 19th of February about the relationship between children's author Roald Dahl and his wife, Oscar-winning actress Patricia Neal, and how their lives were turned upside down by the devastating death of their daughter Olivia from measles encephalitis. I was very humbled to be asked to preview the film before its release, and it's a story of unimaginable loss and of shared grief, and how this grief becomes a source of redemption and strength, which changes lives forever. I am delighted to be joined by John Hay, the writer and director hey. of Olivia, and the film's producer, Donal McCusker. Uh, welcome to this Encephalitis podcast, guys, and thank you both thank for you joining me. Oh, no, thank you very much for asking us, yeah. Look, when I first read the synopsis around to Olivia, I was intrigued. Um, encephalitis has been my, my life's mm. passion, and it covers a key part in the lives of Roald Dahl and Patricia Neal, which, of course, is of great interest to me, and that's the tragic death of their daughter, Olivia, from measles and mm. encephalitis. And, of course, the grief um, which follows in what was once a happy home, and that's, that's something that we'll return to. But first, John, if I can ask you, where did the idea for the film come from? And why in particular was it on that chapter of your life, of their lives that you chose? Well, I'd like to say that it was sort of like, you know, that's, a, you know, we focused in immediately on that period of their lives, but that's not true at all. I mean, I was always fascinated by Roald Dahl. I mean, he, you know, I had uh, a quite unhappy childhood, should we say, and I think Charlie and the Chocolate Factory meant a lot to me. I think it was one of the first books that I could identify with a child who wasn't like, you know, sort of one of the Enid and you know, um, sort of like Famous Five or something like that. And I think, you know, I really related to the story and it was just sort of like bigger and darker and, you know, sort of like just had a quality, a tone to it, a darkness and light that sort of made me feel even though I was a kid, a bit more of an adult in a funny sort of way. That's the strange thing that Roald Dahl can do. So I was working with Dave Logan and we were talking about making something for ITV, funnily enough. And um, we both said, oh, you know, everyone's done everything on AA Mill and all those sort of like things. And but nobody's really done anything on Dahl, you know, and he he's a very difficult man to capture, as you can imagine. And um, so we sort of like settled on that and, uh, and sort of like wanting to make something about Roald Dahl. Now I have to say at this stage, I wasn't really aware um, of, the, of, of you know, Patricia Neal as part of that story at all, I wasn't. And I sort of like started to read about it and we thought, well, do we do a biopic? But that's sort of like been done already. You know, what period of their lives? And you know, the, the key to these stories is to try and find one particular area or one thing with a single trope you know and the trope to me was grief and I thought you know if we can make something you know I've been through a lot of grief like all of us in our lives and sort of like if we can make something about grief um, that would be really interesting so we looked at Theo and you know obviously Theo his son they'd had had a terrible accident in New York um, it's absolutely fascinating because Roald Dahl built a you know, sort of worked with um, 
um, a model aircraft engineer and a, and a surgeon to sort of like come up with this sort of like valve, which was named after him. And that was really interesting, but it's sort of like finally we've decided to make something just about his relationship um, with his daughter and how they both came through grief in different ways. And I think also very much about the 60s and, um, you know, and how grief was looked at in the 60s, how you weren't allowed to talk about death. And I think death is one of the, you know, it's the great, still a great taboo subject for so many people. And I think particularly the death of a child and anyone said, well, why would you want to make something about the death of a child? And I thought, but, you know, every time that I've experienced grief in my life, and so many people have, you've come out of the other side with something different. It's shaped and changed your life. And I think that's what appealed to me, the story that it's about, you know, how grief can inspire you creatively. And it has inspired me in the past creatively. And how both Roald and, um, and Patricia, you know, sort of like came through it. Uh, Roald wrote Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Patricia ended up winning an Oscar for Hard and, you know, came through grief in that way and, and, and became... And what became really important to them was, you know, sort of like vaccines, you know, measles. and then suddenly with COVID, this has just become, you know, very much part of the zeitgeist, but it wasn't intended in that way. That's just the way it happened. Yeah. And we're going to come on to uh, some of those topics uh, mm -hmm. a little bit sure. later. Um, Donald, you came on board as producer a little later in the process. So what attracted you to this project? Yeah, well, I, I came aboard. Um, my, my first guys was, was as a line producer and then I would produced it. So I came on board after the script had been written and Hugh Bonneville was attached as well, albeit that, that so it's fairly early stages. And I, um, I get sent a lot of scripts. Uh, we were just talking about this and I first got a call from John himself um, asking if I was available to make a movie. And I got a, a lot of scripts and I read the script and, and it was, it was just a really, really good script. And um, I've got relatively young kids. I've got a, a, a daughter who's about the same age as Olivia was when Olivia died. And I just had so much resonance. And I think that there's something about, um, yeah, there's, there's just something about trying to make a, tell a story that, um, drama works when, when it can tap into emotion. And I think that, um, uh, you know, aside from the, the cynical nature of, of being a producer, I think that the, there was something in this story that um, could, could do what drama can, can do better than, the, than, you know, news programs or whatever. It can actually tap into um, what it feels like to... Um, suffer grief and I, and I think the, the, the script um, we hadn't made the film then so the script certainly did that very very well and, and uh, you know and I came in also um, excuse me <clears throat> I knew who Roald Dahl was but I wasn't aware of the death of his daughter um, I, I wasn't aware of so much about that story and I think that there's there's something about um there's something very much about the script in the film that it, it didn't matter that Roald Dahl was this great author. It didn't matter that Patricia Neal was a film star. This was a movie about parents who had lost their daughter mm. in unexpected and tragic circumstance. And the fact that 
we have a perception that we know who Roald Dahl was or we have a perception that we know who, who Patricia Neal was. And, and to be fair, in this country, much more people know about Roald than, than about Patricia. Um, that's actually secondary in the fact that it's a way in, uh, but the, the really it's about, this is a film about Olivia and about her death and about the implications of that. Um, and I think as a result, it's, 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 not, it's not a biopic and it's, it was never me meant to be a biopic. It's much more about um, how that feeling and how that affects them, as John said. Yeah, I think that, you know, you say why this particular chapter in their lives. It was also, I mean, when I read, um, I mean, when Stephen wrote his book, he obviously knew, he knew Patricia Neal, you know, just before she died, he was with her, you know, very, very close to the end. And by that time, she'd processed the death of her daughter in, uh, and it became a memory. It became, you know, very much her, in his book, it's very much her looking back on it. What could, what could she have done? Her guilt. Sorry, just, sorry to John, just to explain, this is Stephen Michael Shearer who wrote Patricia's yeah, autobiography. Yeah, the biography, which is based on, and because he knew Patricia, it was the way that she processed that and the way that she looked at it. So it had the quality, his book, gave the story the quality of memory already. And I think that was something I picked up on that I wanted it not to feel like a standard biopic as Donald says, but something that has the quality, you know, the impact of a memory where you're, you know, it's, it, it's postmodern in the sense that you're just selecting moments, you know, sort of like, and you, you know, your throat, you know, uh, said, you know, you're not, the BBC version is you're sitting around the bedside with your, you know, your dying daughter and holding a hand. We didn't do that, you know, he was asleep at the time, you know, you don't see those moments, you just like see it in a very, very intense way, like a series of vignettes almost. And the whole story is told as a series of vignettes and has that quality of memory. So I suppose that was very attractive. And also on that, on, to, on top of that, we imposed, or I imposed the idea of the five stages of grief with uh, Dave Logan, my um, writer, that you know, that we that they went through the five stages of grief through to acceptance. And I think that's so, I mean, everyone has lost somebody. Um, that book is just so important to me in terms of like understanding what I had to went, go through and you, the anger you feel and so and so, you know, and, until you finally come to acceptance. And I suppose that was the, that's the hidden trope of the, of the film. Yeah, I, I mean, you talk about uh, their reaction to Olivia's death, and I think in the in the film we, we see something um, where they react in very divergent ways. They react mm -hmm. very differently from each other, and I think this is something that we often see in families affected by encephalitis, or indeed, you know, other awful conditions mm -hmm. when children are, are robbed from their parents, and where there's a loss of a child. So, can can you just talk a, a little bit of, of more um, about that? Well, I think grief is, I mean, I, I think death is still a great taboo subject for our society. And it's very, you know, you don't find many films about it because everyone goes, oh, why does anyone want to watch something about death? But the key to this was trying to find a way through the script that still came out with the positivity of like, you know, that, you know, in the end, you're going to be okay, that in the end, you're going to find your way through, that in the end, those who you've lost and love would want you to find your own way through and wouldn't want you to be sad forever. You know, and I think that's, that, that to me is when I think about those I've lost, I know that they won't, they don't want, they want me to carry on because if I don't, then 
I'm not, you know, I have to, I'm carrying on for them as well. And I think that's something that really resonates with people I've talked to about losing people who are very close to them. And I lost, a, I lost my sister when I was young. I lost my mother and my father disappeared. So all those sort of like things and like, you know, in, in my life, I've always wanted to write something about death, but try and find, you know, that still has a, it sounds absurd, but it's sort of punch the air of positivity to the end in the end of it. And it's very, very tricky to do that and weave your way through that story. But I the mean, only I way say, you can deliver that. Sorry, Donald. Yeah. Just before you put everybody off watching our movie, well, <laughs> you know, I think you, you, the film that 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 we've made is is hopefully an uplifting film, and and you know, I think that grief is a process, but uh, and it's a difficult process to go through, but it still has comedy and humor, and I do think there's quite a lot of comedy and humor in the film as yeah, well. Yeah. And no, I think, no. I, and you do need to, you do need to balance it because i think you get you you get more of a punch from the lows if you have the highs as well oh no that's you know, that's exactly what i was saying donald yeah no yeah you're absolutely and, right. and also this is roald dahl this is you know but you know but that but this is roald dahl his writing was very much about that darkness and light and i thought at the end of it you want people to come away from the picture and go oh my god i've just watched something that is very much akin to the to the to the feel of a Roald Dahl story, you know that sort of like the darkness and light that he has, that makes his stories very very relatable to. Mm. Yeah, no, it is about. I mean, it is a, it is a bleak topic, and I guess a couple of observations from me is, mm. um, I think death and grief are very isolating, and so actually I think many people will take comfort from this film because they'll feel that there's other people um, that have gone through the same as what they have or are experiencing. But you're right, it, it isn't just a bleak film. And I, I've got to come back in a minute to a burning mm. question that I've got around death, but, but you're right. And you know, one of the bits that I really liked in the film was, um, I think uh, Patricia was reading, I think his um, latest version or first version of Charlie mm. and the Chocolate Factory. And he's outside pacing up and down. Mm. Um, uh, like an expectant father uh, mm. waiting for the birth of a child almost that's to see whether he's that's exactly what I wrote in the action lines thank you oh, really yeah 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 well mm. you can tell at least uh, it's true mm. that I watched the film anyway before we did this podcast but uh, so, that, yeah. so that you know there are great moments in it like that um and, you know, John, I'm sorry to hear, you know, that uh, you lost your sister um, early on. But but before we move on to some other things, that is a question that I had, because the film, to my mind, doesn't overlook the plight of siblings. So when a child dies and parents are grieving mm. and, and I my question was going to be what influenced your understanding of this is it's commonly overlooked, not just in families at the time, because mm. people are so entrenched in their own grief and mm. their own uh, density. Yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. World, you know, but, but it's also overlooked in the media a lot of the time. It's not something that's talked about, how the children mm. are feeling, brothers and sisters, when there's been a death of a child. I think so, and I think also parents feel that they have to, you know, overcompensate, you know, because of the death of a child. And I think that's, you know, you can, kids are smart, aren't they? They, they know what's going on, they know, you know, I know my mum cried, but I never saw her cry. That's the interesting thing. That, that, and I think that's the 
to answer your other question, which is with Patricia Neal, you know, I think that she subsumed, she like so many women, particularly of that period, subsumed her grief and had to look after her husband who sort of like, you know, I, I hesitate to use the word wallowed, but allowed him, you know, you know, sort of like became very selfish about his own grief. Whereas she's never selfish. She has to look after the family, do everything, you know, and look after him and look after the kids and also see that the kids are suffering and try and, you know, join the dots, make him realize that he's got two daughters and things like that. So she is like the moral center of the film in a way. She's very much the moral center of the film by default. So you think it's a film about Roald Dahl, but it's actually a film about Patricia Neal as, as much. It's very much through her eyes. And I love the scenes when Keeley's alone with herself and, you know, you just see her grief just like in those moments when she goes for the walk and things like that. But, you know, then she comes back and has to deal with her husband. He's like, all, you know, being irresponsible to the degree he's almost allowed the house to burn down, you know, and then, you know, and, and the, her anger. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, all those things, you know, it's tough, isn't it? It is, it is really tough. And everyone, you know, deals with grief in their own way. But I think that, you know, it's also about, I wanted to make a film about dealing with grief in the 60s. And I think there is, you know, through the lens of today. And I think, you know, I think you can relate to it in a way, um, you know, sort of in, in a way because it, it's slightly distanced from you. Yeah. Well, you've both referred to uh, the complexity of Roald Dahl, uh, the man, um, and perceptions around him. And, and that might not be something that, that many people are familiar with. But for me, I picked that up particularly in the film when uh, Matilda, who was, was Tessa's doll. Um, uh, uh, no, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Matilda was yeah. Tessa's doll. That's right, wasn't it? Right, yeah. and, um, and Tessa being Olivia's sister. Um, mm. But as he grieves, Roald claims it was Olivia's doll and he mm. locks it away in this trunk. Mm. Um, but as he begins to adjust and, and kind of emerge out of some of the, the his more darker hours, he returns the doll to mm. Tessa. Mm. Um, and I just wondered, I was just intrigued, was that an intentional metaphor or was that just something that came out during the process? No, it was very much intentional. I mean, yeah, it is a, yes, it's a hidden subtext that you always look for. You, you know, you can't, you know, you can't really ram these subtexts home, but obviously, yes, it's about him, his recognition, you know, that, that you know, he, he's seen things, he's seen things in the wrong way, that he's made misconceptions, you know, he, he's had misconceptions and that his grief has, has taken him down different routes and not made him see the truth. And I think that is the postmodern thing, isn't it? It's, um, you know, memory is, you know, it's not just memory, it's whose memory and it's who remembers things and how they remember things. And, you know, that's the great thing about films like, books like Goldfinch, you know, which is a postmodern story in the sense that you have an unreliable narrator. Now they're not fully unreliable as narrators, but there is a certain unreliable quality to memory always, isn't there? You know, we always remember things as we want to remember them. Oh, 100 percent. I don't know yeah. how we get through if we could all remember the truth sometimes. Yeah, yeah, that's we right. We create our own narratives, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, but, um, you, you know, the question to both of you, um, my life work has been encephalitis and mm. in particular outcomes for patients and their quality of life. So I wondered um, from both of you whether you'd heard of encephalitis before learning of Olivia's death. And did you do any research into the condition for the film? 
Um, yes, we did. Yes, obviously. Um, I, I Before I started off being a film director, I worked for about six months as a psychiatric nurse. So I knew a little about it. And uh, my daughter's a nurse. So like, you know, we do, yeah, we're sort of like, well, pretty genned up on stuff. And the interesting thing about encephalitis, as you know, is, is everyone thinks, oh, it's an ill, you know, it's just one illness. And, you know, that can be detected in a one particular way. And I think that's the interesting thing that it's a, it's a symptom of so many things and, you know, not easy to, and not easy to sort of like, you know, work out that's, you know, encephalitis. So what we tried to do, if you read, if you, what we tried to do, yes, we did research, but what we were also trying to do was tell it, tell the story very much as Roald Dahl understood it. Now, if you look at it, his, he was just like completely, you know, knocked off his feet, like so many people I'm sure are by it, that he was completely knocked off his feet. One moment she was like, you know, just messing around doing these pipe cleaners. The next moment she was in hospital and the next moment she was dead. I mean, that sort of like, how do you come to terms with that? The suddenness and how do sort of like parents sort of like come to terms with something that, you know, seems in sometimes really slight and yet, you know, sort of like can have such a major impact so quickly. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm, I was just dealing with an e email today from a, a mm. young man who's, I mean, we take calls from all over the world, but mm. this particular guy was in the UK and he's just lost his father and he just, he can't, he said it so quick. I can't, you know, is mm. this even possible? Is this a thing? Mm. Um, but Donald, had you heard of encephalitis before the film? Well, I, I had, although I hadn't got any direct experience uh, of it. Um, I think that um, for me, actually, I think that what was a more um, interesting thing that, that I discussed uh, with various people was, was vaccinations and, and Dahl's campaign against measles. And I thought that, you know, being, being a cynical film producer for for a moment obviously you have to sit back and think oh we want box office and we want all you know make profit and all that stuff but but what i think film does well is it can tell a story and it can reach out and and convey a message um sometimes much better than than uh, news can and i thought and i you know i've been watching the the anti-vaxxer movement and the whole um the misinformation and all that sort of stuff. And I did think that when we, when I first read the script, the idea that we can do something about vaccination, which in, at the time, there's a, there's a, there's a little bit more complication to the story than we have actually portrayed, but there was a vaccine available, but it was a very, in very scarce supply and it wasn't generally available in the UK at the time. And so there was a, potential that they could have vaccinated the kids against measles but they didn't because nobody was uh, vaccinating uh, the children at the time and I think that by showing what not vaccinating the child does and by showing the emotional grief that that, that caused I thought we could really do something in terms of trying to um, show because I think nowadays people think of measles and they don't really consider it to be a deadly disease. They just think, yeah, it's a childhood illness, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know, like chickenpox. Hey, yeah, everybody got chickenpox, but you can vaccinate against chickenpox and you can vaccinate against measles. And what Roald Dahl 
did at the time when it was actually in the 80s, I think, when, when um, he was campaigning most strongly, was that you, we can actually spread a message about vaccination. And um, uh, yes, you're right, encephalitis is what kills people from, from the, the, the um, measles and, and how it's Olivia died. But, it, but it's a very strong message that we can get across and how we can help spread that message. And I think that's a really important thing to do. And I think also the interesting thing was that Stephen said to me, the uh, writer, he was with Pat Patricia Neal at the end, and she said one that I've never been able to second source this, so I didn't actually use it in the film. But he said um, they'd been advised to put the kids together, you know, when she got measles, which was, you know, it was one of those things. And she just said, "Oh, thank God we didn't, you know, thank God we didn't. I would have lost." two kids, you know, and you, my heart really went out to her at that point. But yeah, I don't think, we didn't, ex, we didn't, there was no point at which it was an issue-based film that we wanted to explain it because we wanted it to be, as I say, a memory, uh, you know, that it's very much through the, their eyes and the, you know, oh my God, how can it have gone this? How could we have ended up in hospital? How can she be end up be unconscious? We wanted, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, you know, we didn't want to explain that, you know, it, you know, it, it can arise from viral or, you know, sort of bacterial or fungal, all those things, you know, problems with the immune system. I don't know all that stuff that you know about very well. We didn't want to ever sort of like go into that. We just wanted to show the absolute, you know, the impact, the shock of it and the speed at which it happens. And that was what I think in earlier drafts, we, we, we pulled it out far more we had more explanation, but actually, in a way, it was just like, boom, 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 and then she's dead. And I think that, to me, made it more of an emotional story, an emotional journey. Yeah, and you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Patricia had been told to do that with the children. That, mm. unfortunately, still happens today. They're called pox parties. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, people, um, uh, you know, get all their kids together. That been, I mean, it's just the worst thing, but, um, I mean, I was really, really pleased that the film ends with this really strong message um, mm. about Roald and Patricia, you know, becoming these lifelong campaigners for the measles vaccination. I think it's really, really important. But of course, you know, the movie, this movie was made before COVID-19 pandemic. And of course it's set as we've all been alluding to 60 years mm. ago. Um, and yet its release seems to be very prescient um, given that we're in a world currently with questions around vaccine confidence mm. uh, and people being hesitant of, of vaccines. Um, has that been something that you've been conscious of? I mean, you, you touched on it a little bit there, but um, I mean, you know, how much do you hope that this film is gonna be something that's really gonna make people think and go out and get the right information about vaccination? Well, that's over to you, Donald, because I think it's <laughs> Donald. Donald's, I have to say, has campaigned more, more than me to really, you know, I'm a filmmaker, I, you know, would like things to be, you know, subtle, but he, I'm not saying he doesn't want it to be subtle, but he felt that we had a very strong message and we should make it very, very clear at the end. And he very articulately campaigned to have that, um, you know, uh, to have the text at the end, which I'm really pleased we did. And I think that's, uh, you know, all thank about him. Yeah. I, well, thank, thank you for saying that, John. You, you, that, that was, you know, I, I was a long, a long and hard campaign was fought to, to, uh, to talk about uh, the, the subject. I think what's, what's um, 
going back to COVID, and, and no, we didn't plan it. It wasn't a part of our marketing strategy. Um, but uh, I think that um, I think what COVID has done uh, to the people's thought processes, and I think it it has changed people's thought processes completely, is that I think they suddenly now realize, hey, there are diseases out there that actually kill you and they can kill you. And even though, oddly, you know, uh, uh, measles, even even um, even the even the flu, um, kills thousands of people every year. Um, and there are vaccinations for both measles and flu. Um, it, it, it there were a lot of people that were saying that vaccinations were bad. That Bill Gates was you know impregnating your mind or something. And I think that um, that you can do a lot of press releases and you can, Boris Johnson can get up and make a lot of podium statements, but it really doesn't get to the, the crux of what the flip side of not having a vaccine does, what, what, how, how you can die and the grief that that incurs. And it's not just, you know, um, um, an old person dying, it can be a child dying and it can happen just like that, as, as John said, very, very quickly. And I think that um, uh, while we obviously strive to make the best film possible because and we want a lot of people to watch the film because if we don't have lots of people watching the film, what's the point in making the film in the first place? Um, I think that there is, a, there, there is something you can do with film and drama that can touch people in a way that... that saying you know a poster saying have an injection i think so and i think i mean i have to say that i didn't resist i didn't resist the um the text at the end for all of the reasons that donald said i resisted it because i suppose at first i was worried i didn't want it to feel like an issue-based film because i think if people feel that drama is ramming something down their throat Mm. they don't you know they they walk away from it they stand back But in this context, and because of like, you know, COVID coming up in the year in which we finished it, it felt so pertinent to not mention it at all, just felt wrong in the end. I think that he was right because you just, you can't, you know, you can't not see that parallel and not acknowledge it. And I think it acknowledges it without it being, you know, and without it ever becoming a BBC Four issue based drama, which I didn't want it to be. I wanted it to be a very emotional from the heart drama that changed people's minds through their emotion, through rather than through a, you know, a more cognitive response. And, and I think it is. Um, I'm pleased that you got the messaging in at the end. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, just a couple of points to make. Of course, not everybody dies from encephalitis. Mm. And- Exactly. You know, people can be left with with horrendous injuries to their brain as a result of these uh, diseases. Um, so there's a variety of outcomes which which doesn't always involve um, people dying, um, um, but and people can be left with these life changing disabilities. Mm. Um, I mean, we're, we're going to bring the podcast to a close shortly. Um, I really would love to see the film released outside of the UK. So that's my plea to you and the people back at Sky. Um, well, ho- hopefully it will be. And, yeah. uh, you know, we, we, we have sold it in other countries and, and we hope to sell it more. So it will go around the world. Great. Well, we're pleased to hear that. And um, I'll stay in touch with, uh, with your people so that we can find out when it's going to be released 
in in those other areas and, and we can help make some noise about it because it's it is a must-see film um but before um i kind of bring the podcast to a close is there anything that either of you'd like to say that we haven't covered that uh, you really wanted to talk about um or to bring to the attention of the viewers um no i i, I wouldn't want any i want i would hope that people get drawn into the film you know because they because they're fascinated you know it becomes a fascination i don't want to get people to be drawn into the film purely because of the the issues but i think that um i think that what we've got is something that tries to tread a very delicate you know takes a very delicate line and i think that's the power of uh, the power of drama i think and uh, you know being able to tell a story with a very very delicate um you know spider's web sort of like uh, ability and I hope that that's what we've done and um, yeah absolutely I, that's all I'd say Donald well I, I would just uh, I firstly I'd like to thank you for inviting us on here mm, and I think that the, the, the work that you're doing is is important and I think that we're only happy that we can uh, spread the word and I think that that it, it will benefit you to jump on our bandwagon and promote your message through the film and hopefully uh, through the film we can um, show people and express people some sort of um, empathy with with the the plight of those who are affected by by encephalitis oh well thank you guys that's really sweet i wasn't expecting that but that's even lovelier so thank you um well, look, as we bring the podcast to a close, we can't thank you both enough for the time that you've taken uh, today to sit and chat and also for making this wonderful, um, honest film about these really important topics that we've been talking about. World Encephalitis Day is the most important campaign for raising awareness in our calendar year. So please find out more at worldencephalitisday.org. And if you have questions or queries about encephalitis and its impact on people affected and their families, then do visit encephalitis.info. Don't forget that our encephalitis services and team, uh, we're still at your service. We still remain open despite COVID-19. It's not gonna bring us down. Um, if you've enjoyed the podcast uh, and can support our work, then please do so at encephalitis.info forward slash donate. So that just leaves me to say once again, thank you to you both, John and Donal. Uh, please, everybody, watch the film to Olivia. And in the same way that young Roald in the film says that we will all become stories anyway, I'm going to finish with my favourite quote by actress and brain injury survivor, Karis Kaufman, who said, if we all knew each other's stories, the world would forgive each other, wouldn't we? Oh, that's lovely. Well said. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.